This teaching comes to you from the team at Anchor Church Sydney. We hope you're blessed by it. For more teachings, resources or info, check out our website, www.anchorchurch.com.au. And this morning I want to share a message with you called, I Have Overcome the World. And so why don't you pray with me, join with me, let's pray together and let's uh, ask God to speak to us this morning. Our Father, we thank you for your goodness to us. We thank you for your grace. Uh, You have enabled us to be here this morning. And Lord, I ask that as I speak, that you would speak to me, that you would speak to us through your Holy Spirit, that we would hear and receive the things that you have in store for us today, that we might be built up, strengthened, that we might have a fresh revelation of you and who you are, what that means for us, God. And so be with us now, we pray. We thank you in advance for what we know that you're already going to do. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, I want to start by sharing with you guys uh, a little bit about myself, and we're going to get real. We're going to get real. In mid-2020, uh, about June, July of 2020, first year of the pandemic, first major lockdown, I uh, had a challenging conversation with my wife, Katie, who is here uh, this morning, and she told me that my mental health, my headspace, my mood was impacting her, and that it'd be really good if I would consider going to see someone that I could talk to. Uh, For those of you who know me personally, or maybe you've been an anchor for a couple years, you would know that a number of years ago, I shared in our mental health series about my struggles with anxiety, panic attacks, things of that nature. And I'd had a pretty good run, to be honest, since 2018. Had uh, managed to find something that worked for me as far as my headspace and staying afloat. But, you know, COVID, the lockdown, isolation, working from home, all these different things kind of combined into this really combustible situation in 2020. And so I had this conversation with Katie, and she said, it'd be great if you could go talk to someone. Uh, So later that month, that was kind of the final nudge for me that got me over the edge. I kind of knew that I wasn't doing great, but sometimes you need to hear it from someone else, you know, who's outside of yourself and outside of your mind. And so later that month, uh, in late July, I checked in to start seeing a new psychologist, who in our first session told me, um, if you've ever gone to see a psych, you know, they ask you a bunch of questions, they ask you to rate, rate your responses to those questions on a scale, and then they kind of give you a diagnosis of kind of where you're at. And in that first session, she told me, James, uh, you're struggling with um, severe anxiety, uh, extreme depression, and severely extreme levels of stress. Uh, I don't think she was exaggerating. It was definitely by far the darkest, uh, most hopeless place that I've ever been in my life. Genuinely felt like I was in the bottom of a pit and didn't know how I was going to get out of that. And so I came in for appointments uh, every kind of two weeks at first, um, and that gradually became less frequent. And that was kind of the beginning of about an 18-month journey Uh, with my psychologist, um, working on myself, 
working through headspace, uh, growing in awareness, learning techniques and things that I could use to help myself in my mental health journey. And to be honest, it was really hard for the first six months. I reckon I didn't see any tangible progress, at least that I could discern. It's kind of like you're doing something and you're going through the grind of it and you don't see the yield, you don't see the results. Um, but she told me to stick with it. And so I kept going and um, gradually I began to get uh, better and better and by God's grace was able to gradually become healthier. Um, and why am I telling you this? Well, the point isn't, so this isn't a success story. Uh, I still struggle with mental health. I still struggle with headspace. There's ups and downs, ebbs and flows, just with the realities of life. Um, so this isn't a success story. It's not a Cinderella story. Uh, I don't share it for sympathy either. Uh, I share it um, really to be real uh, because today I want to talk about the idea of trouble. And I want to talk about the troubles that we face in life. I want to ask you this morning as we start, and you've heard my story, I wonder as you think on your story, uh, what troubles have you faced? What troubles have you faced? Um, perhaps what troubles are you facing now, right in this very moment as you've come to church this morning? What are the troubles that you are facing? See, trouble and hardship are part of the human life. Many of us would know that by experience. Many of us have experienced really difficult troubles. And if you haven't yet, uh, they are coming. And the question is, the question I want to pose to you as we begin is, where do you turn in those moments? Where do you turn in those moments? Where can you find the strength to keep going? Uh, what do you put your hope in? What do you put your hope in? Where do you find peace? Where do you find a peace that lasts, that endures, that sustains? See, these are some of the things that Jesus talks about in the scripture that we've just read this morning. And what I want to do is I kind of hone in, particularly in the last verse of the chapter. That's where we're going to be camping out. That's where we're going to be spending our time this morning. What I want to do, my aim is to help show you how Jesus' words are real and relevant for us today. You see, this is a word for those of us who are walking through trouble today. And I want you to leave today feeling strengthened and looking to Jesus, that you would run to him, that you would run to him for what you need most right now. And my aim is that all of us, we would leave today with more hope, more faith, more peace, more strength, uh, not because our circumstances have radically, drastically changed over the next half an hour, but because we have seen afresh and grasped anew the reality of who Jesus is and the hope and the peace that only he can give. And so that's what I'm trying to do today. That's where we're going today. Does that sound all right? Yeah. Cool, cool. So as we, as we start, have your Bibles open there, John chapter 16, verse 33. And I want to share with you a couple of truths, a few promises that Jesus gives his disciples. In that moment, contextually, he's speaking to his disciples. But really, I think by extension, all who would come after them and also walk in their shoes, all who would follow Jesus, who would be his disciples, including us. So I want to show you a couple of things that Jesus promises the first promise Jesus gives there in verse 33 
is that the disciples will experience trouble in this world. You will have trouble in this world. Maybe not what you wanted to hear when you came to church, but this is essentially what Jesus is saying. He's saying, following me does not equal a trouble-free life. Following me does not equal a trouble-free life. And I'm going to tell you why that matters. I'm going to tell you why that matters in a little bit. But let's do a little bit of, a little bit of work before we get there. And so you might be asking, what kind of trouble? What kind of trouble is Jesus talking about here? And if we remember that this, this upper room conversation, this is one long discourse, starting in verse 14, going to the end of, uh, sorry, starting in chapter 14, going to the end of chapter 17. And so this is one long conversation. So let's have a look back at what Jesus says in the chapters earlier, as we recall his words. So what kind of trouble? Well, recall these words that he says in chapter 15, verse 18. He says, If the world hates you, keep in mind that it hated me first. If you belong to the world, it would love you as its own. But as it is, you do not belong to the world. But I've chosen you out of the world. That is why the world hates you. We'll jump down to the next verse. Uh, verse 20, chapter 15, Jesus says, Remember what I told you, a servant is not greater than his master. If they persecuted me, they will persecute you also. So he was talking about opposition from the world. He's talking about persecution in verse 20. Uh, even earlier in chapter 16, where we're camped out today, Jesus talks about how the disciples there in verses 1 and 2, he says how they'll be put out of the synagogues, how some people will even want to kill them. It's like super intense, right? And in verse 32, just before this verse that we're camped out in today, he talks about how, quote, he says, the disciples will be scattered, each to your own home. And so these are some of the troubles that Jesus says the disciples will experience. Uh, I don't think these examples, I don't think this list is an exhaustive list. I don't think it's the full range of all the troubles. But it is some of them. And if we think on the life of Jesus, we know that in his life, he also experienced troubles like uh, being mistreated. We know at times uh, he was misunderstood. We know at times he experienced loneliness. Uh, rejection, even from his own people, even from his own family members at times, even from people that he thought were his friends. And his disciples would go on to experience many different kinds of sufferings after Jesus goes to ascend and be with the Father. And so the point, the point is this, following Jesus does not equal a trouble-free life. There will be hardships, there will be opposition, there will be mistreatment, Maybe even persecution. Uh, there's definitely Christians being persecuted in different parts of the world as we speak. Uh, Australia, we have it pretty good here, but maybe even persecution one day. And, and what this means, you say, James, what does this mean? What's the point? What this means is that we shouldn't be surprised when we experience trouble. We shouldn't be surprised when troubles come our way. Now, I just want to pause here for a second and say, you know, not all trouble that we experience is a result of following Jesus. Some of the trouble that we, we experience is due to our own sin. Some of the trouble that we experience is due to bad choices, what the Bible would term foolishness. And so we also are responsible for our own actions as well. 
But I think Jesus sums it up really clearly when he says, back in chapter 15, he says, a servant is not greater than his master. And so some of us, you know, you want, you, you'd want to say to me right now, James, no, nah, I don't want to experience trouble. That's not for me. No persecution, no mistreatment, no rejection, no misunderstanding. But what Jesus says is, if you're going to follow after me, if you're going to walk in my footsteps, you're going to experience some of what I experience. And so if Jesus is, you know, for those of us here today who call Jesus master, for those who call him Lord and Savior, if he is the one that we follow after, if we are walking in his footsteps, if we are following in the way of Jesus, as we like to say here, why should we expect that we won't experience trouble when the one that we follow after did? For a servant is not greater than his master. And here's why this matters. Here's why this really, really matters. I want you to listen to me carefully here. This matters because if we believe, if we believe that Jesus has promised us a trouble-free life, then our faith will falter. Our faith may even fail when we face hardship and opposition. See, in an attempt to make the Christian faith more attractive, more marketable, more sexy, over history, many different people, many different speakers, preachers, even just ordinary people have communicated a gospel that is trouble-free. And what happens is when people experience a life of faith that conflicts with that, they walk away. Because they have been sold a version of Christianity that Jesus actually never promised. That is so important. They have failed expectations. And their failed expectations aren't failed expectations of Jesus, but of people who said things about him, who maybe portrayed a message that wasn't quite true to the scriptures. And so the truth is, it sucks when people walk away. It sucks when people have failed expectations. But we need to come back to the scriptures because the reality is we cannot hold Jesus to promises that he never made. We can't try and cash checks that he never wrote. It's like a child who's grown up their whole life being told, you can have whatever you want in life. You can be whoever you want to be just because you want it. And what happens? They grow up. They experience the realities of life, the realities of hard work, things being unfair, the fact that often things don't go as we want them to go, and they end up disillusioned. They end up devastated. She knows. Don't know if that's going to keep going, but if it is, we might need a keyboard or stuff here to turn that off. Hey, let me keep going. So let me ask you, let me ask you this morning, Anchor Church, if you're here today, you're a follower of Jesus. When you experience trouble in life, when you experience, when you experience hardships in life, how do you respond? What are your expectations of Jesus and of the Christian life? Do you get angry at God? Because he's failing to meet some version of the gospel that you believe, some expectations that you have about the kind of life that he's guaranteed you. Or do you understand that trouble will come? When people make fun of your faith, 
when you might be misunderstood or rejected for what you believe. Because let's be honest, I mean, we don't really face persecution here. I think the worst that we face is, you know, people in the workplace, friends and family, they might just misunderstand us. Like they might give us an awkward look or ask a couple of questions that make us feel a bit uncomfortable. Might give us that, you know, that facial expression that makes us feel a little bit left out. When that happens, what do you do? Do you understand that that's part and parcel of following Jesus? Or do you shrink back? Do you minimize your faith? You know, what'd you do on, what'd you do on the weekend? Oh, you know, hung out with some friends, maybe watched a footy game. What about yesterday? What'd you do on Sunday? Oh, nothing. Like, just like did community. Vague enough that it kind of feels like you're being honest, but not really. Do you shrink back? Do you minimize your faith in what you believe? Or do you stand up for it? You know, I think many of us, myself included, we struggle with fear of man. We struggle with the desire to be accepted and liked. And many of us, we're so desperate to be liked and accepted by the world that we've forgotten the words of Jesus who says, people are going to misunderstand you. People are going to reject you. People might even hate you for what you believe. And this is so important, and I see this, and I feel just so strongly and passionately about this, particularly for a young adult generation. Because on the one hand, we come to church on Sunday, and we worship, and we raise our hands, and we're passionate, and we're like, I want to stand up for Jesus. I want to make a difference in my world. I want to make an impact. But then when the hint of we might be misunderstood rises, we might be rejected rises, suddenly that zeal just drops from 100 to zero. And I want to say, you want to make a difference for Jesus. You want to make an impact for Jesus. You want to be a light for Jesus in your world. People have to know who you are. They have to know what you believe. They have to know who you follow. I think perhaps the reason that many of us are not living the kind of lives that we want to live for God is because we're actually hiding our allegiance to him out of fear. We're ashamed of him. We're embarrassed. I wonder, what ranks more highly for you? What's a more powerful force in your life? Is it the fear of man or is it the fear of God? I consider these words of the great evangelist, uh, the late Billy Graham, who said, the Bible clearly says that faithfulness and persecution often go hand in hand. The Bible clearly says that faithfulness and persecution often go hand in hand. See, sometimes we want to be faithful, but we also want to be faithful while being as accepted and liked and affirmed by people who don't follow Jesus as possible. And Billy's saying that that's not how it works. It's not how it worked in the Bible. It's not how it worked for Jesus. It's not how it worked for the apostles. And so that's not how it's going to work for us. So I want to ask you this morning, you know, do the people around you, do they, do they know about your faith? Are you standing up for what you believe? Are you actually living this faith out to the degree that the potential might rise, that you might actually be misunderstood sometimes? People might actually have questions. They might be curious. Maybe they won't agree. Do you stand out? Are you living this out?
The second promise that Jesus gives is that despite the trouble and opposition we're going to face in this world, Jesus says he has overcome the world. Uh, Listen to his words. Come back with me to verse 33. He says, in this world you will have trouble, but what? But take heart, I have overcome the world. Now these words, they must have been such a relief for the disciples after Jesus has just told them that they're certainly going to experience trouble in life. But then he tells them, but take heart, take heart, I have overcome the world. And take heart, in the original language, it just, it means Have courage. Have courage. Don't be afraid. Have courage. Now, to put this into perspective, this has got to be a really interesting thing for the disciples to hear Jesus saying because what we know from reading the Scriptures and what they will find out very soon is that just after he says this, he's going to pray for them. Then he's going to be betrayed. Then he's going to be arrested He's going to be mocked, spat on, beaten, falsely accused. He's not going to even try and defend himself. He's going to be crucified. He's going to go to the cross and die a lonely, painful, shameful death. And so this is a really interesting thing to say. Have courage just before all these things are about to happen to me. The circumstances seem different to the words that he is saying. But consider Consider what the Apostle Paul says about what Jesus accomplished on the cross in Colossians chapter 2. And maybe Jesus' words here, they're going to make more sense to us. Colossians chapter 2, starting in verse 13. Paul says, When you were dead in your sins and in the uncircumcision of your flesh, God made you alive with Christ. He forgave us all our sins. Verse 14, having canceled the charge of our legal indebtedness, which stood against us and condemned us, he has taken it away, nailing it to the cross. And listen to this, verse 15. And having disarmed the powers and authorities, he made a public spectacle of them, triumphing over them by the cross. See, Paul is saying that even though Jesus' death, even though what was going to happen to Jesus shortly after this discourse seemed like loss, even though it would have looked to the world, to the onlooker, like it was lost. This guy's getting arrested, he's getting beaten, spit on, hung up on a tree, left there to die. Even though it looked like loss, this was actually Jesus' pathway to ultimate victory over everything that opposed God. See, through Jesus, all of our sin, all of our legal indebtedness, the blemishes against us, all the strikes of guilt against us were taken away, Paul says. He says they were nailed to the cross. And if you're here today and you don't normally come to church or you wouldn't call yourself a follower of Jesus, this is the good news about what Jesus has done for you. That he went to a cross and though outwardly it looked like loss and defeat, he was achieving victory for himself, for you. That everything you've done in your life that's failed to live up to, to, to the standard of a holy God, Jesus is nailing that to the cross. And not just the acts, not just the thoughts, not just the attitudes or the words, 
but the heart behind it as well and the guilt for those things. Jesus is nailing it to the cross, taking it away. As Paul says, canceling the charge of our legal indebtedness so that we would no longer have to be called guilty but innocent and free. And if that wasn't enough, if what Jesus had accomplished on the cross, if what he has accomplished isn't enough, look at the description there. Like these are fighting words. Like there's swagger in this. He disarmed the powers and authorities. He made a public spectacle of them. I love in the ESV the way it puts it. He says, God put them to open shame. He humiliated them. See, this isn't the case of, you know, these powers and authorities, sin and death, the devil and the world versus Jesus, you know, in a boxing fight. And it's a bit of a stalemate. And so in the end, we have to come to a decision by points. Oh, you know, Jesus, he got a few better, better hits in, so we'll give him the victory. Now, this isn't points by decision. This is a knockout blow. This is a public spectacle. You got made a fool of. You should be ashamed, powers and authorities, trying to oppose Jesus. This is a knockout blow. This is what Jesus has done. And this is why he says, take heart, have courage, because I have overcome the world. This is what I'm going to do. But listen carefully here. Notice Jesus doesn't say, but take heart. You have overcome the world. Take heart. I'm going to solve every problem in your life so that you overcome the world. No, he says, take heart. I have overcome the world. Have courage because of what I've done. The sinless life that I lived. The sacrificial death that I died. The victory over sin and death that I won. The trouble-free future that I have secured. For those who follow me on that day when I make everything new. See, our society, our society, social media, influences, the popular narrative of our age, they're going to tell you, or what do they tell you? Put your hope in yourself and your inner strength. What you have to offer because you are strong and you are capable and you have potential and you have everything you need to overcome everything in your life. And if you're not seeing the results just yet, here's some great affirmations that you can speak over yourself every morning and manifest that reality until it becomes true. Now, is there, is there truth in being optimistic? 100%. Is there truth in operating in a good headspace, having boundaries, trying to live a healthy life? Is there truth in hard work and grit and doing things for yourself to, to help you kind of get through? Of course. Of course there is an element of truth in all those things. But our society says, put your hope in yourself. Jesus says, no, put your hope in me. Put your hope in me. See, our courage in the face of trouble, ultimately, it has nothing to do with us. 
and has everything to do with Jesus and the victory that he has won, the fact that he has now already overcome. And so through unity with him, through being united with Christ and in Christ, we too can say, I have overcome. No matter what your circumstances are, Jesus is the reason we take heart. Jesus is the reason that we find courage. Well, the third promise Jesus gives, so he says, you're going to have trouble in this world. Following me does not equal a trouble-free life. But the second promise he gives is, but you know what? It's, it's okay. Take heart. Have courage because I have overcome the world. And the third promise Jesus gives is that despite the troubles that his disciples may experience, despite the fact that he is about to go to the cross, despite the fact that even though he's been telling them about this for three years, they're still not going to get it, and they're going to get scattered, they're going to flee and freak out. Peter's going to deny Jesus three times. They're going to be like, oh my gosh, like, what is going on? Despite all of that, Jesus says they can have peace. And that's the third promise, that we can have peace. Verse 33, I have said these things to you that in me you may have peace. You see, everything that Jesus has been telling them in this upper room discourse, everything he's been telling them from the beginning of chapter 14 up until the end of chapter 17, he's not telling them this to scare them. He's been telling them this to prepare them for what is to come, even though they don't fully get it. You see, by teaching them about how he is the way to the Father, by teaching them about how he's going to send them the Holy Spirit to be with them and how they can abide in him. Remember John chapter 15, abide in me. He's giving them a way to access peace when troubles and persecution come. He's giving them a way to access peace when he's no longer with them. When they look back and they remember and they, they, they recollect the things that he has told them so that their hearts may be able to be set at rest. So this is the heart of Jesus for his disciples. His disciples then and his disciples now. He doesn't leave them alone. He doesn't leave them uninformed or unprepared for what is to come, but he shares with them what is about to happen so that they can find peace in him despite his physical absence. And he says, servants don't know their master's business, but I have called you, what, friends. I've called you friends. And so as I close, Miles, you can come up. I want to ask you another question this morning as I close, which is where do you find peace in the midst of the troubles of life? In your life, in your everyday, day-to-day life, when troubles come, when difficulties arise, when hardships present themselves, where do you find peace? Do you find it at the bottom of a bottle? Do you find it in the escape of pornography? Or numbing yourself through binging streaming services? 
Do you get a momentary experience of peace through the affirmation of others online? If I get enough likes, if I get enough responses, interaction, it gives me this momentary sense of peace. Or maybe you find a sense of assurance and affection through the loving words or actions of your partner. Or maybe you're someone, maybe you chalk up the lack of peace in your life to the people around you, right? Like, it's my environment. It's my environment and all those toxic people and the things they're saying to me and my job. It's my external environment. And if I could just remove myself from that for a moment, I'll just go off the grid. I'll just go MIA. I'll just stop. I'll disconnect from people and community. Maybe I'll go traveling for a little while. I'll find my sense of peace. Where do you find your peace? And you know, the problem with all of these solutions, and I'm sure there's many more, is that while they help us out in the moment, while they give us a temporary, momentary experience of peace, it only lasts for a while. It only lasts for a little while. See, they offer us glimpses. They offer us shadows of a true and lasting peace that only Jesus can offer. See, think about this for a second. So often when we find ourselves faced with troubles, our immediate reaction is, well, if I just remove those troubles from my life, then I will have peace. Now you have to ask yourself, if that peace only comes when there's no trouble, is that actually true peace? Is that actually true peace? Or is it just the absence of difficulty? See, all these things that we run to, all these things that we give ourselves to, that we seek, they don't work because they were never intended to work. They're counterfeits which buckle under the pressure of giving us what we truly need because the peace and the hope and the joy and the strength and the endurance that we ultimately need can only be found in one place, in one person, and his name is Jesus. And it's only by trusting in what he's done, by joining ourselves to him, by looking to the fact that despite the fact that maybe I haven't overcome everything in my life, he has overcome. That's where I find my peace. And so this morning, what I want to do is I want to give us an opportunity to respond and to ask Jesus for that peace that only he can give. And I don't know what you're going through in your life. I don't know what troubles you walked in here carrying on, the, on your shoulders, but I know that your, your shoulders can't bear the weight of it. And I know that despite what you look to, whether you'd want to admit that to me or not, I know that whatever you're looking to can't bear the weight of it. But I know that Jesus can. And I know that his promise is that when we come to him, he will give us that peace. And it's a peace that lasts. And it's a peace that endures. And it's a peace that knows no limits, no boundaries, no quotas. There's no like daily limit that you can tap into and then, you know, oh, 
Had enough of that today. There's no more left. No, there's so much. It's abundant. Why? Because Jesus gives it freely and he gives it limitlessly. And so in a moment, I want to ask you to stand and pray with me. And the reason why I want us to respond is because I believe that, you know, our God, he doesn't want us just to hear things and to intellectually process them and then to kind of agree with them in our minds, even though that's an important part of learning and listening and hearing and growing. But he wants to meet us experientially. He wants to minister to us through his presence, through his spirit. And so in a moment, I want to ask you to stand and pray with me. And my conviction is that he will meet us in this moment by his spirit. You know, I believe that when Jesus says, in me, you may have peace. I believe he actually means that. And he intends to make good on that promise. And so as I I close, I just want to read you this amazing quote that I came across as I was preparing the message this week. And then I'm going to stand, ask us to stand and pray. And you can listen along or it'll be up on the screen behind me. And it's this beautiful quote by Donald Miller who summarizes this piece of Jesus. This is what he says. He says, As long as a Christian is in the world, he will be pressed as though by a great mob. This is the trouble, right? He will be crushed in spirit as though great crushing weights were lying on his chest. He will know spiritual anguish like that of a mother in labor. This Jesus has told us. But when he speaks, therefore, of peace, it is not the peace of unruffled days but the inner confidence of a warrior who was weary, thirsty, outnumbered and wounded, but who fights bravely on, confident of the outcome, assured of victory. We are not saved from trouble. We are saved in trouble. So why don't you stand up? Stand up and join me. And I want to pray for us this morning. Just close your eyes. Join me in prayer. And if you are someone who you want to receive this peace of Jesus this morning, you want to lay your troubles at his feet, you want to ask him to make good on that promise that in him you may find peace, I'll just ask you, just hold out your hands in front of you just as a symbol of, hey, these are my worries. These are my troubles. These are the things that I came in here holding on to, carrying. And Lord, I want to give them to you this morning. And I want to trust you in the midst of my trouble, even despite my trouble, that you have overcome the world. And that this peace that you speak of, that this is real, this is true, this is for me. So just hold out your hands there. Hold out your arms. And with your eyes closed, let me pray for you. Let me pray for me. Let me pray for us. Our Father God, we praise you, we worship you that Jesus has overcome the world. Lord, we thank you that your victory, it was definitive. That you made a public spectacle of the enemies against you, the forces that stood against you and us. And we believe, Lord, this morning that Jesus, you are the only one. Jesus, you are the only one who 
has done everything that we have needed. You are the only one who ultimately is sufficient for us. You are the only one who when we go to you for peace, Lord, that peace is truly what we need, that it will satisfy our needs, that it will meet us in our loneliness, in our fear, in our failure, in our rejection, in our troubles, in our hardship. We believe, Lord, that you are the only one who can give us that peace that surpasses all understanding, that makes the troubles of our world, the troubles in our life look tiny. Because of your love for us, because of what you have done. And so, Lord, I pray now that you would meet us in this moment. Pray for every brother, for every sister, Lord, with arms open to you this morning, Lord, laying burdens at your feet, asking you for your peace, Lord. Would you give us a fresh sense right now of your Holy Spirit, of the peace that can only be found in you, Lord. We ask that you pour out your peace through your Spirit. I pray that you would be binding up broken hearts this morning, that you would be healing wounds, that you would be restoring faith, that you would be giving a fresh sense of hope to these people who you love, who you have said, I do not call you servant. No, I call you friend. And so, Lord, even as we worship now, Lord, even as we continue to respond, would you continue ministering to us in this space? We thank you, Lord. We praise you. We receive the peace that comes from you this morning. We pray this. In Jesus' name. And all God's people who agreed said, Amen, Amen.